Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom, I'm Dr. Diana Dye with Foundations in Torah and Bible Interact TV. Welcome back to this series of programs called The Fig Tree. We're actually on session number four, and we've been laying a groundwork for what the fig tree might mean in Scripture. There's certainly a lot of elements to it. Um, it's a tree that um, we might be somewhat familiar with. Um, those of us in the West, maybe not so much as the one as those in the East. The fig trees grow very well in Israel. And uh, actually, Turkish figs are some of my favorites. But there are so many interesting character qualities to the tree. Now, last time we talked about uh, Leviticus 19, 23 through 25. We were talking about how in the first three years, the sanctity of the fruit tree was basically what we call forbidden or, or law. And it was forbidden for three years. Let me just reread that scripture to familiarize you with that. When you enter the land and plant various kinds of fruit trees, you are to regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years it will be forbidden to you and not eaten. In the fourth year all its fruit will be holy for praising God. But in the fifth year you may eat of its fruit so that it will produce even more for you. And we said that there is a pattern here with the third year, fourth year, fifth year thing. And that one of the things that the rabbis say about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was because Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of that tree in its first three years when it was forbidden, which is why we call the fruit off of that tree the forbidden fruit. So it was in a lower level of sanctity, if you will. But the fruit in the fourth year would be holy for praising God. And then, of course, in the fifth year, you may eat of its fruit so that it will produce even more. So in this session, we're going to talk about the fruit of the fourth year. And again, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the previous program so you can get the, uh, the backdrop to what we're talking about here. So the fruit of the fourth year, to me, speaks of that fruit that brings us from death into life. So when uh, Adam and Hava ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they were in this lower level of sanctity, that is, that they were diminished. They basically, it describes them as being in a state of death, and of course they were exiled out of the, the garden. So we don't want to eat the fruit in the third year, we want to eat the fruit in the fourth year, but something, uh, something very penetrating happens in the fourth year so that we will be able to eat it in the fifth year. So this is really the message of the fruit of the fourth year. The fruit of the fourth year is really what we would call the, the first fruits. That's the fruit that's been set apart to God. And we have, certainly in the scriptures, we have Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, talks about the bringing of the first fruit of the, of the trees up to Jerusalem. According to the Mishnah, it says that if fruit appears while the tree has the status of the fourth year, this fruit must be redeemed in accordance with the laws of the fourth year fruit. So our pattern here is the, the fruit of the fourth year goes to Yeshua the Messiah as the redeemed fruit of the, of the fourth year. He was the first fruit, if you will. So, of course, he hung on the tree, and after three days he was raised up. On the third day he was raised up. And his status changed for the fourth day. He was in a state of resurrection, 
in his spirit and his body, and he was the first fruit of the resurrection. So what happens in the fourth year, if you will, it will prepare the way for the fifth year for the rest of us. Now, in order to understand this, we have to spend a little bit of time talking about something called the 7,000-year plan of God. Now, this isn't something you would necessarily find in the scriptures, but this is part of the thinking of the ancient sages and really the rabbis, uh, orthodox, ultra-orthodox today probably would, would look at it in the same way. They see that, of course, everything's patterned after the seven days of the creation week. And they get this from Psalm 90, which is read every Shabbat that tells us that a day is as a thousand years. So in their minds, the the time of the history of mankind is a total of 7,000 years. And that's the pattern after the days of creation, as each day is a thousand years. So we have seven days of creation. We have 7,000 years to human history. And so on the pattern of the, of the creation week, we have six days in which we work, and then we rest on the seventh day, the Sabbath. The same thing is true about the 7,000-year plan of God. We have 6,000 years of work, if you will, and the last 1,000 years would be the Messianic Kingdom or the Shabbat, the time of rest. And if we go through the creation week, it's interesting what's created on each day. I'm just going to focus your attention on the fourth day of creation because that's the day in which God made the great luminaries. So we have the sun, the greater light to rule the day, And the moon, the lesser light to rule the night, and of course the stars. But the key here is that the pattern of the fourth day, or the 4,000 years, if you will. And so on the fourth day, again, we have the sun, and that connects us to the Messiah, Yeshua. And we have the moon, which connects us to the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the words for moon, Yireach, I don't know if you can hear the sound of Rach in there, but that would be your same word for Ruach the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh. So this particular word, Rach, really just means something that's a a prescribed pattern, a pattern that is followed. So the moon, of course, follows a prescribed pattern every month. And so, too, the Holy Spirit follows, as a wind would follow a prescribed path. If you lived in the southwest in the United States, you find that every spring... The wind comes up from the southwest and blows towards the northeast, so that's its its pattern. So the fourth day really represents the 4,000 year, if you will, from creation. And if you look at the whole pattern, this is the day in which Yeshua the Messiah came. Uh, although there's debate on the actual year, most believe it was probably 4 BCE, uh, not very long before uh Herod, uh, he died shortly after Yeshua uh, was born, so somewhere in that time frame. So he came, if you will, in the f- on the fourth day, in the 4,000 year. And he came to redeem mankind, and he did what well, his accomplishment in terms of his redemption is the same as what we see of the first fruits on the fourth day. So like the first fruits on the fruit tree, which was redeemed in the fourth year, so too Yeshua the Messiah would come and he would make redemption for all of mankind. Now there's a little pattern here that I'll try to explain. Uh, It's hard not if you can't see it, but I'll try to explain it so you get the the gist. So the two two years, if you will, that are critically important in the 7,000 year plan would be the fourth day and the seventh day, or the fourth year and the seventh year, or the 4,000th year and the 7,000. So those are kind of the focus here. 
So if we're looking at a pattern of 7,000 years, we have 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, and then the fourth 1,000 would be the fourth day. And then we take the fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, so 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, and then we have the seventh day. So we have a, two patterns of, of three days, and then on the fourth day, and then we have another three days, and then on the seventh day. So this is a repetitive thing that we have in the creation week and that Yeshua, he came on the fourth day when the moon and the sun and the stars were created and he came on the seventh day which is the Shabbat when all things would be uh, put under his feet. Now if we go from the fourth day which is the 4,000 years to the seventh day which is the 7,000 years, in between we have two days. That would be the fifth day and the sixth day. And what you'll find in scripture a lot, it'll talk about these sort of these two days. I think well, the one that comes to mind for me is in Hosea, Hosea, that's chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, basically. It says, Come, let us return to Adonai, he is for he is torn and he will heal us. He has struck and he will bind our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. So from the fourth day to the seventh day, we have two days in there, or 2,000 years, he will revive us. And then on the third day, now remember in this pattern we have two third days. So we have one, two, three, the fourth day, and then four, five, six, the seventh day. So we have two patterns there of three days. So on the third day, which would be the fourth day and the seventh day, he will raise us up. So certainly in Yeshua's first coming, he was the first fruits on the fourth day, and his resurrection would, would lead to uh, ultimately our resurrection. And then later on the fourth day, uh, the seventh day, he would, he would raise us up as well. All of us would be raised up. So that's kind of a pattern in there uh, when you're looking at Hosea. Now, an where it's repeated, and it, like I said, you can find this all over the scriptures, this concept of two days, and something happens after two days, or tw 20 days, or 200 days, or 200 years. This number two, and a time frame of days, or years, usually speaks of the same interim period between the fourth day and the seventh day. Uh, the redemption on the fourth, the fullness of the resurrection on the seventh. So if you were reading John chapter 1, and you were going through the chapter, you would find... That by the time you would be going from a very, there's a day, and then it adds another day, and then it says the next day. You will find this in John, uh, for, uh, John 1, 29, 35, 43. They all say the next day, the next day, the next day. So we have these days. So we have days going past because we're going to get to seven days. And when we start in John chapter 2, verse 1, it, depending on your translation, but in the complete Jewish Bible, some will say on the third day, but this says two days later, there was a wedding at Cana in the Galilee. So we have a picture then in two days of the Messianic kingdom from the fourth day to the seventh day, the two days tucked in between. And there was a wedding. So that's showing us at the time of the Messianic kingdom, the wedding between the bride and the bridegroom. So these numbers in scripture are very important and they give us these patterns that we want to look at. And so that's just uh, one you can pay attention to as you're going through the scripture. Now, the seven, if you'll recall in Deuteronomy 8.8, 8, so when we have the seven species being brought up to Jerusalem, and the figs were part of those seven species. Now, these were the first fruits. They were set apart from trees. They were holy, set apart to God. They had a special sanctity. And uh, it tells us that it, 
the the fruit trees and the fruit that comes in the first fruits has to be when they are in the land. That is the key here. So they're in the land, and what comes forth is wheat, barley, uh, grapevines. We have the fig trees, also the pomegranate, uh, as well as olive oil and honey. So these those were the predominant. Those were the seven species. Again, the key was when you are in the land, and you will eat this food in abundance. And the key, of course, being don't forget the Lord your God when you're in the land and you are being abundantly provided for. So these are the species. They had a special sanctity. They were brought up to Jerusalem and set aside and set apart as holy unto God. So again, Yeshua is the first fruits, a picture of the living Torah who's going to bring deliverance in the fourth year. Because what does he do? He defeats the flesh because he is crucified on a tree. Now, remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the tree has, uh, in, in pagan uh, understanding, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the Asherah trees, they were pagan trees for worship. And so we see him hanging on a tree that represents pagan worship. Again, I believe that the, it's possible he hung on a fig tree. We don't know for sure. And it's even entirely possible that the beam that he carried was from a sycamore tree. It's interesting to me that uh, fig wood, uh, the fig tree wood was actually used on the altar for the offering. So it's, it's entirely possible. We don't know for sure. But again, the redemption had to come first and the first fruit of the crops had to come first. And that was all associated with the fourth year or the 4,000 years. Then, in the fifth year, it was for everyone. So we, we're going to move on here and talk a little bit about the fifth year. As I mentioned, in the fourth year, it was holy for praising God. But in the fifth year, you may eat of its fruit so that it will produce even more for you. That's the key there. And so the fruit was for everyone. And so it would produce even more. And I find it also interesting, First Kings 6.37, that... Uh, certainly we are patterned after a house. We are a spiritual house. But it says that the foundation of the actual physical house, the Temple of Solomon, was laid in the fourth year while the actual house was built in the fifth year. So you see that pattern again. And, and keep your eyes out for it as you're going through, the, through Scripture and studying. So in the fourth year, Yeshua, in a sense, was he was certainly the foundation of the house, the chief cornerstone. And so that was the fourth that was what he accomplished in the fourth year and then the build the actual building of the house would take place in the fifth year. So that's true of the physical building and it's certainly true of the spiritual building if you will in, in terms of the kingdom and uh, us as living stones being fit together and that it would be constructed in the fifth year. So the fifth year is the fruit for everyone to eat so it will produce even more and certainly a picture of the messianic kingdom. Really, the number five is a number that represents the kingdom. It's the letter He in the Hebrew alphabet. And the rabbis definitely, as you're reading their commentaries, they associate the letter He with the kingdom of heaven. And, of course, the letter He can be found in the name of God, the yod He vav He. The, uh, the number five definitely points us to the temple. We find that it is a key number in, in, in the tabernacle as well. Most of the measurements in the tabernacle are divisible by the number five. You find that all over the place. 
Certainly on the fifth day of creation, we have the fish coming forth and it are described as living creatures in the sea, uh, which has a value of 50. And they were, of course, told to be, that uh, was the concept of being fruitful and multiplying, which is what we want to see in the fifth year. The Messianic kingdom was the fifth kingdom that was uh, that absorbed the preceding four world empires. So, again, the fifth being important. You think about Shavuot, Feast of Weeks in the spring, what we sometimes call Pentecost, which is also the number 50. But the idea was that the whole community of Israel would achieve sovereignty on the 50th day. So they would go forward seven weeks of seven days to the 50th day. That was the the key that uh, what the rabbis say that with the wisdom of man would end on the 49th day and that the wisdom of God would begin on the 50th day. So all these number fives connected to the time of the messianic kingdom. And what is the fruit of that kingdom? We can certainly read about that in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the kingdom the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and humility and self-control. These are all the attributes of the kingdom of heaven. And those that belong to the Messiah who have circumcised their flesh and their heart, these should be the manifestations in our own lives. Uh, if not, we would might want to question our walk with the Messiah. The, the rabbis say that the fifth year was to be called uh, the word in Hebrew, keter, and that means crown. And that was when ultimately the fruit was the most precious to, to actually eat. Now I'm going to just shift gears a little bit, but I want to look at a, well, it's a parable, a parable, excuse me, from Luke. But what we might call it is a midrash or an interpretation on the verse that I've been reading in Leviticus 19. So this is Luke thirteen six through 9, and I hope you can see some of the parallels as we go through. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and came looking for fruit but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, Here I've come looking for fruit on this tree for three years now without finding any. Cut it down. Why let it go on using up soil? But the man who took care of the vineyard answered, Sir, leave it alone one more year. If not, you will have it cut down then. So it's kind of interesting uh, to see these numbers here again and dealing with fruit trees. So the, the man comes looking. There's nothing on the trees uh, for three years. There's no fruit. So he says, hey, cut the thing down. But uh, the man in the vineyard says, uh, just wait one more year. So that would be the fourth year, <clears throat> the time of redemption. If there's no redemption, then go ahead and cut cut it down. Uh, I'd like to also draw your attention to the fact that there's a fig tree that is planted in a vineyard, which seems highly unusual, doesn't it? But remember, one of the idioms for the kingdom is every man under his vine and his fig tree. Uh, back in John chapter 1, it talks about Yeshua seeing Nathanael, Nathaniel, describing him as a true son of Israel in whom there is nothing false. And Nathaniel says, well, how do you know me? And Yeshua responded, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So we have two things kind of going on here. The vineyard is certainly representative of the house of Israel. And one of our scriptures talks about the men of Yehuda are the plant he delighted in. So... My premise is that the, certainly the vineyard, the vineyard represents Israel, but the fig tree it represents the leadership 
in Israel or in the vineyard. So this tree was planted in the vineyard. And so we're going to look uh, in our next um, programs, we're going to be talking about the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah in particular, because I believe that they represent the actual leadership of the whole house of Israel. So he says, leave it one more year and I'll dig around the tree in the soil and, and I'll put manure on it. And that word, that looking at the word for soil, we know that there's a parable of the four soils or representing different types of hearts. The, so, uh, the seed that went in the rocky, in the rocky soil, one in the thorns and one on the path. So different types of hearts is what our connection is to different types of soils. But there's really only one soil or one heart type, if you will, that will produce fruit. So the idea of waiting to the fourth year is that Messiah himself would rebuild the heart, rebuild the soil, if you will, to produce, to prepare it in order to produce more fruit. He would add manure, if you will, to, to the soil in order to uh, see fruit produced. The word there for to dig or to hoe is azar in Hebrew. And it means to clear out the debris. So, you know, around trees you get lots of stuff, you know, pine needles if you have a pine tree. or And certainly some of that's organic matter good for the tree. But whatever is around it, cleared it out. And the idea of azar means to bring about order. Or the, I, the process of removing what is unnecessary in order to bring about order. So going from that uncircumcised state where there is not order, where we're talking about that which is worthless and not necessary, to a circumcised state. In you can see this in terms of, of the heart. So getting rid of that which is unnecessary or, or being circumcised, doing whatever is necessary, that is, um, to, to bring about order. So we could look at it as kind of uh, oh, cutting off the flesh, if you will, of un with uncircumcision and, and becoming circumcised uh, in the heart. So this this is all kind of in this little parable here. So the idea of Yeshua who comes to restore and fertilize and prepare the heart to receive him. And this is all happening in the fourth year, the fourth day. The word for, for fertilize here in Hebrew is zaval, which means manure, fertilize, but it also means to purchase a wife. I thought that was kind of interesting. So along with this preparation of the heart is also to prepare the bride because she has wandered far afield from her groom. So part of what Yeshua has come to do is to restore that relationship. Uh, from the Tosefta Shevaid, it says, Until what time is it permitted to manure a field? It is permitted as long as one is permitted to plow, one is permitted to manure. So you think about plowing or breaking up the, the fallow ground of the heart and plowing that up so it can receive the seed. And so there's still time to plow and there's still time to fertilize so that fruit will be produced. And again, that fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. So all of this is speaking of the fruit of the fourth year, connecting it to Messiah, circumcising your heart and your flesh, cutting off the flesh that separates you from the presence of God. So again, you don't eat the fruit of the first three years. It's forbidden and unsanctified. It's, it represents the works of the flesh that gain control over us and enslave us. We don't want to eat that fruit like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We want to separate ourselves from the kingdom of the enemy and the works of the flesh. And so we want to eat 
Uh, we want to set aside the fruit of the fourth year, the sanctified set-apart one, Yeshua the Messiah, so that we can receive his redemption by his death and his burial and his resurrection in order for us to be able to eat the fruit of the fourth year, of the fifth year, excuse me, and produce a great harvest of souls and build the kingdom of heaven. So interesting parable. I think that it connects very well to Leviticus 19. And again, the key in all this is often looking for these little details because when we read them, we just don't pay any attention, you know. So what if he was three years and there was no fruit on it? We don't think that there's something connected uh, specifically to something in the Torah. So I'd encourage you anytime really that you're reading a parable, most of them were well, familiar parables to the, the people of the first century. So we'll, uh, we'll end it here, and we're going to pick up next time, and we're going to go into a lot of detail about the kings of Judah and how they connect to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So look forward to seeing you next time. Uh, check out Foundations in Torah and also Bible Interact TV where you can get a lot of material. So we'll see you then. Shalom.